Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, church family. Visitors, friends, happy to have you out. Like we've been talking about already, it's Celebration Sunday. And man, I love this day. It's just this opportunity that we've got where we can talk about who Christ is, what He's done for us in our lives, and the way that He works in and through us individually and as a church, and just the way that He blesses us and He grows us and and, and builds us into the people that He wants us to be and that He's designed us to be. And and it's just, it's amazing, you know, I, I don't know how to express it adequately. He's so good to us, and he's been so great to us as a church. And this is actually an idea that Kenton came up with a few years ago, where he was just, you know, as he was reading and as he was looking at Scripture, he said, you know, back then they used to take time, where they'd set aside a point in time where they'd celebrate God, who he is, what he's done. And he said, we should do that. And he was right. We we need to do that. And so we started. And so I look forward to this every year, just when we take this one Sunday and, and we look back at what God has done for us over the course of this past year and, and just celebrate Him uh, and all that He's done. So I'm excited that you're here. I trust that you're going to stay and you're going to hang out with us. Uh, that smell that you can smell right now is all for you. That's beef on a bun. It's coming soon to a plate near you, baby. It's... <laughs> and it is awesome. They know exactly how to do it. And then we're going to just do a really brief uh, program uh, service, so to speak, where we just unpack some of the things, some of them that you probably aren't even aware of, uh, some things where we can just share where we've seen God at work and and stuff like that, hear from some some people and so on. So anyways, it's going to be an awesome day. We're also, like Ryan said, we're also wrapping up our Colossians series. And I hope that for you, it's been as good on your part as it has been for me. Man, you know, I just love it. The older I get, the more I understand and dive into God's Word. And when I do that, and when I engage with Him there, He shows up every time and meets me. And, you know, it's just alive and it's dynamic. And He changes me and speaks into my life as we do this. And so Colossians has been awesome for me, and I trust for you as well. And today we're in chapter 4. We're going to wrap it up. And actually, interestingly enough, we're only going to do really two verses. Um, we're going to take uh, the, the, the section that you'll maybe find in your Bibles under the heading of final instructions. And so we're not going to deal with the, the greetings at the end of it. And last week, we incorporated the first couple verses, well, the first verse um, in our session last week because it fell kind of naturally there. So we're going to go from verse 2 to verse 6 this morning. And it Like it says, final instructions, maybe you've got that in your Bible. It makes sense that they would call it that because 
starting in about the middle of chapter 2 and carrying on through chapter 3, now right into chapter 4, Paul has been giving the Colossians and through the Colossians then to us as well, instructions on how we are to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. He gives us these uh, instructions on how to go about doing that, how to do that well. And so we're going to look at those things here. And this, but this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, first of all, welcome. We're excited to have you here and trust that, that this will be significant for you. Um, every week we have people that come that haven't come to that point yet in their own lives where they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You're just checking it out. Maybe a friend brought you and you're just here because they invited you or, or what have you. Or maybe you're curious and you're, and you're wanting to know a little bit more. Awesome. That's great. But I'm just straight up. Our hope is, our desire is that as we talk about who Jesus Christ is, that you will come to know him personally as well as your Lord and Savior. That you'll come to recognize him as God. And that he desires a relationship with you. And that when we place our trust in him, that he comes into our lives and starts to grow us and build us into those people that he wants us to be. And that he will one day fulfill that process with him forever in heaven. And it's just, it's the best story in the world. And we trust that as we talk about it each week, that you will come to that same conclusion that we have as well. But in the meantime, for now, listen to these instructions that Paul has for us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we're not here to dupe you into that decision. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to coerce you. We really can't. It's an open invitation from God. And you can only accept an invitation. You can't be manipulated into it. And so... Um, Listen to this. We want you to be informed about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's not going to be easy. Even as we just talk about these brief couple of verses this morning, you'll find that it's not going to be simple. But I can guarantee you that it will be worth it. That there is nothing in this world that can compare to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the difference that that makes in your life, that there, there's nothing that compare, can compare to it. There's nothing that equates to it. There's nothing that can be duplicated like it. It is, it is this stand-alone thing that is preeminent and the, 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 the ultimate thing in your life when you come to that point. So let's dive in and get at it. So if you've got your phone open, if you don't, uh, if you want to grab a pew Bible, you can help Welcome to do that. Otherwise, we'll have the words for you, the verses on the screen. We're going to start here, chapter 4, verse 2, and go through to, chapter, or to uh, verse 6. So read with me. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act to outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's just pray quickly before we go any further. Father, this morning again we come before you and we say thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your work in our lives by your Spirit this morning. God, as we look at these Brief verses, I pray again that by your power, through your spirit, that you would 
speak into our worlds in such a ways that you would make yourself known to us, first of all. And then that you would grow us, that you would convince us, that you would motivate us to become the people that you've designed us to be. And that we would take to heart now these instructions from Paul and that we would adopt them and incorporate them into our lives in such a way that we would be a testimony for you in the world around us. And to that end, I pray for Jesus' sake alone. Amen. All right, so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do this backwards, which most of you will recognize is sort of the way I do most things. We're going to start with verse 5 and then verse 6, and then we're going to drop back at the end to talk about verses 2, 3, and 4. So turning to verse 5 then, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Some of you here were here a number of months ago for our first Peter series, and you'll recognize that, first, uh, that Peter was talking about something very similar when he was addressing Actually, the Christians that were in the same kind of an area that Paul is addressing now to those that are in, in Colossae, the, church, the Colossian church in Colossae. So Paul's speaking to a specific church. Peter was speaking to those spread about in this whole same region of the world. And they have a very similar message in this respect here. Paul's saying the same thing that Peter was saying. Hey kids, As you go out and you live out your faith, be very careful about how you do that. Be wise about how you live out your faith. And he's saying that for a few reasons, and I'm not going to go into it all again. We covered it fairly, I think, fairly thoroughly back then. But just as a a reminder, this is the stage at which Christianity is just starting to engage in the world around us. It's about 60 AD. And, And so... At that point, as Christ has come along and has been revolutionary in his teaching and in his approach, also now Paul is saying that you guys have to be careful out there because you're being viewed, you'll be viewed as a threat, especially by those in authority. Those in the political authority were worried about this because this was changing the way that people worked. It was threatening sort of the status quo. Obviously, it was... was, It was a threat to those that were in a religious authority, whether that was the Jewish religion or the Stoics or whoever. This was a whole different way of thinking, and it was challenging what they were proposing, what they were trying to advocate at the time. And so there was a a very real possibility of hostility towards anything that was going to rock that boat. And so Paul's saying, be careful about how you live that out. Now, We've got to remember here something. We've got to make a distinction that's very important. Paul is not saying that we should be keeping our faith a secret. That's not what he's talking about here. He's, He's saying, be very careful about how you act, how you live your life. But he's not saying... Don't let that, that, that cat out of the bag. Keep it under wraps, this whole faith thing in Jesus. And now, you know, Paul, Paul was familiar with being persecuted for his faith. He'd, he'd been around the block on this. Like even at the beginning, as we read, he's in chains for the sake of his faith right now. He's writing to them from prison. And it, Paul's been beaten. He's been chased out of towns, out of villages, as he's been out there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he knows that there is a potential problem for those of us that share our faith out there as we do that, that we could be persecuted unjustly or in our minds unfairly or what have you. So Paul is saying, don't not share your faith. 
double negative. I always get into trouble with those. He's not saying keep your faith a secret. He's saying just do it wisely. You know, today, nowadays, I think that we come to passages like this and we think to ourselves, man, the wisest thing that I can do is not share my faith. I'm going to keep that in the, in the bag. Because if I, if I bring that up, that's just going to rock this whole boat at work. Everything's going to go off the rails. If I bring that up at school, my friends are going to think I'm daft, weird, kind of odd. You know, if I share that with my family, that's going to cause stress and strain. And so we think that, well, oh, this is awesome. Paul's saying be wise about it. So I'm going to be really wise. I'm just not going to say anything at all. I'll just try and let it happen organically somehow. So I'm not going to do anything that would cause anybody to, to see or notice a difference in me somehow that would, that would make me stand out. And that's not at all what Paul's after. He is saying that in your interactions with those around you that don't know Christ, those that have not come to faith yet, be careful how you conduct yourselves so that you do not disqualify your testimony before you say anything at all. That's where Paul's driving at. He's saying, live your life well in such a way that you would be intriguing and, and engaging with the world around you, not off-putting to everyone, not causing them to just be disappointed, you know, frustrated, repelled. He says, act decently to people. Don't be ignorant. Don't be condescending. Be a good person. Engage well with those around you. So that then, at some point, when you have an opportunity to share with them, that you'll have the ability to do that without being disqualified before you even get going. And that's what Paul's pointing to right now in the next part of that sentence when he says, make the most of every, every opportunity. So again, we can understand that he's not saying hide it. He's saying set yourself up well so that then you can make the most of this opportunity to share your faith. All right, N.T. Wright points, that, points out that the verb that Paul uses here in the original language literally means to buy up or buy out. So when we hear Paul say, make the most of, of, of every opportunity, we can accurately interpret that or translate that as snap up every opportunity like a bargain. Buy it up. Buy it out. Take advantage of it completely. And man, if there's anything that we in North America should be able to grasp, wrap our heads around, it's buying up a bargain. Right? Yeah? We love to shop, don't we? We're good consumers. And I know, because I am one too. You know, like when, when the beef goes on sale, you know, $2.99, lean ground beef, well, I'm there. I'm on the phone. Fran, how much room is there in the freezer? I'm going to take advantage of everything that I can. I'm going to stock up as much as I've got money and or space to take advantage of that cheap beef so I can be barbecuing. Right? Or... Or when that sweet nectar, Coca-Cola, 
goes on sale. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The 750 milliliters, 710 milliliters bottles, you know, and they're on six for three bucks. <laughs> well, I am there in spades. I've got a cart at that point. Not the, not the little basket thing, a cart. I'm going to take advantage of that, right? And every year, Black Friday, Boxing Day, we see our world change completely. We reorganize our worlds, our lives, so that we can be up early, so we can drive across town, so that we can be in the city, parked outside Best Buy or wherever it is to take advantage of the bargains that we love. The things that we're interested in, that we're all about. We will, we will sometimes even camp out ahead of time to take advantage of those bargains. Paul's, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's the attitude that we need to have about sharing our faith. That opportunity that when God brings it along, that we seize the day on that. We're all in on that. And then Paul carries on. To verse 6. And he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So now he's starting to talk about not just how we live, not how we set ourselves up to share our faith, but how we actually do it. How we do that verbally as well. Not only through our actions, but through our words as well. Paul points out that we need to be intentional about our communication. Now, as we come to this verse here, where it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, grace can be interpreted in two ways. It can be interpreted in terms of the grace of God, which is to say, God's grace that we know, we understand that we've come to the point where we realize that by His grace, God's grace, that we are saved, that He gave His Son to, to give His life in our place so that our penalty of sin could be erased, could be paid for. We would be redeemed by God's grace alone. Nothing that we can do ourselves. Only by God's grace. And so our conversation, Paul is saying, our conversation needs to be full of that grace. We need to be talking about God's grace to the world around us. That when, that when we get to that point in our lives, when we fully and really truly realize that we have been saved from an eternity in hell, separated from God because of our sin, and on, and on account of what Christ has done in our place for us, that when we come to that full realization... I don't even know if we really get to the full realization. But when we come to a, enough of a realization of what that is, what that means for us, that we can't, we can't keep that a secret. We can't keep that in the bag. We've got to let that cat out. We've got to talk to people about the grace of God that takes us from being sinners separated from Him for eternity to being His saints Bound for, him, for a relationship with Him in eternity in heaven. It's the greatest news in the world. And we have to share it. Our conversation needs to be full of that God's grace. But our conversation also needs to be gracious. Which is to say that we have to exercise human graciousness to one another. That we have to 
Be patient with one another. Exercise care and compassion. Bridle our tongue in such a way that we're not being harsh, cutting, insulting, negative, cutting people down. We have to exercise graciousness just again as God has done with us. We see that throughout Scripture as we read about Him and hear how He operated, full of grace for those around Him. Now, Darren mentioned, I think, a couple weeks, maybe it was last week or maybe it was the week before in terms of our panel series, where he talked about that these things start at home, where we, when we exercise these things at home, that's where it's hardest, right? Because at home, we let it all hang out. We are who we are at home. Because, like, I mean, you can, you can change, choose your friends. You can't choose your family. So they got to deal with me the way I am. And they don't have a whole lot of say in it. So if I can learn now to be gracious at home with my brothers, with my sisters, you know, even when they're driving you crazy, with my kids, when they're exasperating me six ways from Sunday on Monday morning. With my parents who just don't have a clue anyway. If I can learn to be gracious there, then I can go out into the world around me and be gracious as well where it comes just a little bit more naturally. I I trust, I, I hope, I pray. We need to have communication that exercises God's grace and graciousness all at the same time. I don't think Paul did that by accident. He left that hanging there so that we could understand both respects. Now, at the same time, Paul goes on to say that we should also have our conversation seasoned with salt. Which is not to say that our language should be salty. Some of us, I think, read it that way. We can go out and we let it all hang out again. And I talked about that a little bit a while back. That as Christians, our language, in our language, we're not called to be salty. Bad language. We're called to way more than that. We need to exercise control of that. Paul says, you're better than that. But he calls us to have our conversation seasoned with salt. Which is to say that we should be engaging and attractive to people in our conversations. That we should build our conversations, script our conversations, sculpt our conversations in such a way as that it would be engaging and intriguing to those around us. So just like when you're eating chips, and don't tell me you don't. When you're eating chips, you know, you have one and then you got to have another one because they're salty and they're good and they just suck us in. And you want another one, right? And the salt is attractive and it's savory and we're, we're drawn to it. That's what Paul's saying our conversation should be like. Our communication should be like. That it would be attractive and engaging to the world around us so that they want more. So that they will engage us in conversation. Now, the question is, how do we do that? Sometimes it's as simple as just talking about spring effects with your friends. Some of you guys, you can talk about that with your friends at school. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Well, I'm going out 
we're working at Spring Effects. What's Spring Effects? And you can share with them what you're doing, what's going on, what it's all about. Some of you are working with people that have kids. And you can talk about Spring Effects. Hey, what's going on this weekend? Oh, man, we're looking forward to it. There's, there's a Spring Effects going on. My kids love it. They just they dig it. Can't keep them away. What's Spring Effects? So you can learn to craft conversations. But I think Paul gives us this huge clue about how to build bargains in our own conversations with the people around us. He says in the last half of that sentence, so that you may know how to answer everyone. At first it would seem to not even make sense, right? As you read this this sentence. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What? Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Doesn't, that, that doesn't, something's not right there. And you, may, you automatically think that the translation's wrong. You know, something's gone off the rails. But th- read again. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As we think about it a little bit, it pops into focus. It becomes clear. The implication here is that in order to answer someone, you must first have been asked a question. And Paul's jumped right to the heart of it. That in our conversations with people, we need to be scripting them and sculpting them Building them in such a way as that it would prompt, it would provoke a question from those around us. Paul says, craft your conversations in such a way as that you can script, you can orchestrate, you can direct people to ask a question. And not just ask a question. But ask them, but ask a question that we want them to ask and that we know the answer to. This begs some questions of ourselves. Number one, what kind of conversations are we having generally in the world around us day by day? So often I think that they're conversations that are built on, based on statements of complaint or whining. How do I know that? Because I look at my own life and I'm just extrapolating out there and guessing that you're somewhat similar. When I'm whining about the, the government, complaining about tax season, whining about the weather, and all I'm doing is making statements, that's not eliciting questions. That just helps the rest of the world chime in and grumble as well. So we all go about our day grumbling and whining and complaining. And we need to take a look at that and stop and go, wait a second, I've got to do something different with these opportunities that God gives me in my conversations. So we have to change the nature maybe of our conversations. Number two, in our conversations we have to ask ourselves, are we the only ones talking? Because that's another thing that I'm guilty of for sure. Maybe not everybody. Some people are a little quieter than I am. Okay, fair enough, most people. But 
If I am the one that's doing all the talking all the time and it's all about me and what I think and yada, da, yada, da, blah, 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 nobody has a chance to ask a question. Nobody has a chance to dive in. I'm too busy prattling on. So I have to adjust. And thirdly then, as I look at my conversations, have I been finding, am I finding ways to elicit questions from those around me that I want to answer and that I know the answer to. You know, years ago, I was probably about this high. It was just about the point in time when I was becoming aware of the fact that people around me had lives too. It wasn't just all about me. My dad came home and I said, uh, he said to me, he said, hey Doug, how was your day? And I said, oh, it was pretty good, you know, had a good time, not too bad. And, you know, then it dawned on me, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to ask you a question now, too. That would be the social convention. I should employ it well. So I said, how was your day? And I was not prepared for his answer. And he said to me, he said, um, oh, he said, I had a really good day. It's fairly interesting. I said, oh, what was so interesting? He said, well, I told a guy today he was going to hell. And, of course... Even at that stage, I said, oh, that, that, this, is, this is not good. You're not supposed to do that. And so I, I said, like, so what's up? How, what, how did this all go down? And he's, he was in his office, and, and he just, in the course of the conversation, he didn't just serve it up kind of straight like that, although I've seen him do that too, but he, he, he just crafted the conversation. He reiterated it to me, and it was a guy that I knew as well, and and. In the course of the conversation, he just made it plain and clear that without Jesus Christ, that our future is hell. And so I said, well, how did that go? And, and he said to me, he said, oh, he didn't like it. And I'm going, no kidding. And he said, but I, I know this. I'm, there's one thing for sure. I said, what's that? He said, I'll never have to bring it up again. And I said, well, what do you mean? And I, he said, from now on, he'll bring it up. Because the wheels are going around in his head right now. And he doesn't understand this. He's, and he's upset and it's just turning away. But how is it that I could be going to hell? And he said, I know from experience that he'll bring it up. Again, he'll want to talk about that more. And sure enough, he did. And he made a profession of faith. Now, you and me, sometimes we look around and, and, and I know it. I've been there. We don't want to get into a conversation because we're afraid that we're not going to have the answer to the questions that they're going to ask us. And we think that somehow not having the answer is going to be devastating. That it's going to, it's going to either cripple us or, or them or probably us both. And so this morning, I don't want you to go away thinking that, whoa, I've got to be able to serve up. You're going to hell straight into some conversation. That's not what I'm saying at all. Maybe at some point along the way, we'll get really adept at sculpting conversations, and we'll be able to do that in such a way that it will prompt that sort of a response. 
But in my experience, more often than not, it is not the tough questions, it's not the difficult questions that really ever stood between somebody and me being able to talk about my faith. I haven't yet. I have yet to have somebody come up to me and say, if you can explain to me your eschatological position adequately, then I am willing to listen to you about what you think about Jesus Christ. I've never had anybody come up to me and say, talk to me about the plenary nature of Scripture, and then I'll consider whether or not I want to become a Christian. This never happened, and I'm not holding my breath. I think that way more often than that, it's simple questions about simple things that allow us to answer those questions with answers that we know and answers that we want to be able to give, which is to say that when we go about our life in such a way as we walk into work one day or we walk into school one day and we're in a good mood and we are optimistic and excited about things, somebody will ask us the simple question about, how come you're in such a great mood today? What's up with that? Which might then just give us the opportunity to say, you know what, man, I'm really looking forward to Thursday night. It's, it's spring effects. And my kids love spring effects. Or I get to work at spring effects. And somebody is going to ask you, what spring effects? That's an answer that you've got, and it's a question you want them to ask because you've got the ability to explain what that is and to then say, hey, maybe it's something you might want to check out. Or maybe that's something that I could take your kids to. I know they'd love it. And then the kids come, and they go home, and they say, hey, Mom, you've got you to check this out. Like You wouldn't believe the cupcakes alone. And away we go. Now, the thing here is this. I've got to go back to verses 2 to 4 because this is very key. Paul says, before you're out there just living out your faith, before you're engaging in these kind of conversations, devote yourselves to prayer. I am absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the most undervalued currency out there is prayer. I don't think we have a clue as to how valuable prayer is, how effective prayer is. You know, and like, like a while back, we woke up one day and all of a sudden Bitcoin was like through the roof in value and we were sitting around going like, what? I know. When did it become that valuable? How did that happen? Why didn't I invest? Right? One day I think we're going to be sitting around with God and He's going to show us what He was able to accomplish when we prayed. And at that point in our lives, we're going to look around and say, if I had only known how valuable prayer is, what could have been accomplished if I would have just taken a bit more time? If I would have added that to my agenda, if I would have been praying about these things, what could God have done? Paul goes on, he says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Are you praying 
for those opportunities, that chance that God would provide in the course of your day where you would be able to share about who He is, the mystery of what He has done for us to save us from our sin. And lastly, and selfishly, I would covet your prayers. I know the rest of the staff would cover, covet your prayers as well. That we would proclaim it clearly as we should. That you would pray for us. That as we go week to week and as you bring your friends, as you bring your neighbors, as you bring coworkers, as you bring family to church, that we would be able to get up and articulate clearly who Christ is, what He has done, and why we need Him in our lives. So that they would have the opportunity to find out about Him too. We don't have time this morning to do prayer adequate justice. And so the good news is, is that I throw that out there this morning really as only a teaser because the next three weeks we're going to talk about prayer in a little bit more depth and try and mine it a little bit deeper and a little bit more appropriately than just these couple minutes this morning. So I'm looking forward to that. I trust that you are too. And, that I, and I trust that God will use it to grow us in prayer so that we would be that much more effective, leveraging this capital, this currency, with value beyond what I think we understand. This morning, now we're going to turn to communion. and You might be asking, like, why on earth would we be having communion on Celebration Sunday, talking about God dying, being killed in our place. And the fact is that we don't celebrate his death. We don't celebrate that he had to die on account of our sin, or that his body was broken and his blood was shed in order to bring us forgiveness. We don't celebrate that he had to go through that. But we do celebrate the fact that he did do it. That our God would love us that much that he would say, oh yeah, I'm going to make the most of that opportunity. Count me in. I will die for them. We celebrate that. I'm gonna, let's pray together. Father, this morning, again, we stop and we say thank you, Lord, for who you are, for your love for us, for the gift of your Son, for his willingness to sacrifice his life on our behalf, for the salvation that comes through his death and resurrection, and Lord, for the opportunity that we now have to share that with the world around us. Thank you for working in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for working in our church, for blessing us in so many different ways. Pray, God, that you would make us into your people and that you would grow us and build us in our ability to be the best testimony for you possible in the world around us. All for your son Jesus' sake. And in his name I pray, amen. Church family, I just want to say that I am proud of you guys. Because I know that you are growing day by day by day by day in your ability 
to live those lives that are attractive to the world around us and to build and craft bargains into your conversations. I see it. New people are coming all the time as you invite them out to church, as you invite them to small group, as you invite them to Kids Quest and things like that. And, and I just want to say, way to go. And I know that we are on the cusp of something more that God's got in, in, intended for us as, as we go into the future. And we've got this cool opportunity today where we're going to celebrate what he's done, but we're also going to look forward to where he's taking us as we try and get you a glimpse of what he has in store.